Christmas is the season that promises to touch our deepest need. It promises to meet our deepest longings. It is the story of God remembering us, God caring about us, God squeezing himself into time and space, drawing near as one of us. And if we are so well remembered, so well loved, so known by the one who is the ultimate source of life, then our fears, worries, and anxieties ought melt away. But is there anyone for whom this is the actual case? Many of us know the Christmas story and what it's meant to say. We believe these things about prophets and angels and the holy family, shepherds and wise men. We believe these things in some abstract way, but the story no longer lives for us anymore. It's worn thin under the tiresome weight of life, exasperated with the season's to-do lists of cards, parties, gatherings, presents. We go through the motions, but little of this actually brings the story to life in our hearts. There are some who long to believe, but simply cannot see how the Christmas story could touch them because life has had too many unhappy surprises. Too many unfulfilled hopes and dashed dreams. I've made too many choices, too heavy a load of regrets. And the people in this story, well, they're simply too pure and too perfect, too pristine to weave into my story. And our shame scares us off. There are some who are even further removed from the story. Wondering if what in the world this old story has to do with our postmodern, post-Christian context. Implausible. Cynicism sneers, the story is nothing more than a drive for the consumer economy, providing a brief distraction in the bleak midwinter. And these struggles weary us. Yet, we show up year after year to hear this story. There is something within us that won't give up. There is something within this story that won't give up. What if we could bring this tired old story back to life again? What if we could find ourselves drawn into it as a living story with texture and depth? What if we could sit with God in this story and ask some questions? Advent is a season to provide space in our lives for self-reflection. Space for waiting for and expecting God to show up and perhaps even speak to us again. Today we're going to begin with Zachariah's question, how can I be sure of this? To understand Zachariah, we have to understand disappointment. To get a picture of Zachariah's life, you have to understand what it means to long for something, to pray for something for years, to be faithful, doing the right thing, and the answer never comes. The longing never fulfilled. Hope, long gone. Only when you've drunk deep from the dregs of disappointment can you begin to understand Zechariah.
Only when you've drunk deep from the dregs of disappointment can you begin to understand Zechariah. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 The time of Herod king of Judea. A better rendering of this phrase would be, It came about in the days of Herod. It came about is a favorite phrase of Luke's, and it's wonderfully subtle because we get this feeling that ordinary life is going on for ordinary people whose lives are only marked and remembered by reference to the rulers, the powerful, the famous. These common people pass their days inconspicuously, seemingly inconsequential. The rulers rule, believe that they make and mark the days of the world. But in reality, beyond the view and in the heavens, something wonderful has been put into motion. At the right time, critical moment, it breaks through. It came about. And so it is we meet the couple. Zechariah is a priest, belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. For them, their heritage lives. For them, they feel their lineage. But in spite of their good heritage, their days are not spent in the joy of a life fulfilled. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. And then, something happy. Once, When Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of his priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. In the midst of Zechariah's good and upright service, finally comes a day he's long awaited. This is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. The lot falls to him to go into the special sacred place reserved for the chosen priests to offer incense for the people. Zechariah won the privilege. It's a big day for Zechariah, and it's fixing to get bigger. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And the angel comes down on the right side of the altar. It's a fitting place of honor and says pretty much the same thing any angel says before getting on with their message. Do not fear. Being so close to the holiness unrestricted power of the divine. It's possible that that God has taken offense at the stubborn hearts of his people, that his long suffering has now come to an end, and the Lord's about to give Zechariah a hard word to deliver to the people. That's frightening. Being so close to the majesty of God, it's possible that Zechariah himself has somehow offended God. It's a privilege to enter the holy area. It's also a risk potentially perilous. But it's none of these. Your prayer has been heard. The angel isn't talking about the official prayer of the incense. The angel is talking about the cry of Zechariah's heart. Wonder of wonders. 
This is a particular and personal visit from the angel. This is about an intimate prayer for his wife and their desire to add to their family. And the angel continues in beautiful poetic speech. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. For he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. John means God has given grace. The son John will be a gift of grace leading to joy and gladness, not just for the parents, but for many. And, and then the angel goes on, and the rest of this message matters too. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people who are prepared for the Lord. This part of what the angel says points to the life and the ministry of John the Baptist and all that he will accomplish. But I can't help wondering if Zechariah heard any of that after the first bit about his wife bearing a son, lost in the wonder of good news. Is it possible that in the seconds it took for the angel to finish his message, after that bit about Elizabeth bearing a son, instead of listening to what the angel said, Zechariah is overwhelmed with the possible news, the best possible news he could have hoped for. And then we have the crucial hinge, Zechariah's question. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. How can I know? Zechariah's question, how can I know? My life has been filled with disappointment. And now you're telling me my dusty old prayers are being answered, that, that a new day is dawning. How can I know? How can I be sure of this? All of the nights my wife has cried herself to sleep, and the nights she's chosen not to bring it up again, realizing how tired I was of hearing it. All of the days of strolling through the village, passing younger married women with their children, watching tender scenes of mother and child, and now you want me to go home and raise her hopes higher than ever before? At our age? How can I know? It's tough moving beyond disappointment and entering into trust. I mean, couldn't I get a sign or something? How about a confirmation number? I mean, that way when I show up later down the road, I'll have something to refer to, right? Remember what you said? It's confirmed. I don't want to be disappointed again. And we feel Zachariah. We feel his pain. Gabriel does not. For Gabriel, standing in the presence of God, 
being sent with a message is enough. For Gabriel, peace, presence alone is enough. The angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. Not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Gabriel means God has shown himself strong, and Gabriel has the authority to act out that strength, and he takes away Zachariah's voice. An old African Christian theologian from the middle of the third century origin came, had an acute eye for for catching the irony of this moment. The coming son's call to be a voice of one calling in the desert versus the current father's correction, the loss of his voice. For his want of faith with regard to the birth of the voice, Zacharias himself deprived of his voice. For a priest, his voice is a crucial asset, indispensable tool. And just because words aren't going through, uh, coming out of his mouth, doesn't mean that thoughts aren't moving through his head. And maybe this forced silence is just what he needs for renewal. A time for him to come to believe again. A time for him to be made ready for what is to come. But we're left with this question. How can I be sure? How can I know? How difficult is it for you to bring to mind your biggest disappointment? Do you have a face? A situation? The way your life's turned out? Maybe with a job or a leader? Maybe you're disappointed with yourself. And into these disappointments, how difficult is it for you to bring to mind God's presence? When faced with disappointments, big and small, we are tempted, like Zechariah, to demand proof. Give me a sign of your trustworthy, a confirmation of your faithfulness, something tangible so that I can see your presence in my life. When faced with these disappointments, we're tempted to bang our heads against the wall and double down and make another spreadsheet, fretting all the way. Another approach to disappointment is a period of gestational silence. Find some quiet space and ask the Lord to speak to you, expecting him to again. Could it be that from the presence of God, our disappointments, well, they just look different? (laughs) Could, Could it be that from the presence of God that our story does not end with us? Our story does not end with our grim circumstance. 
Perhaps it's time to pick the story of Zechariah up in a fresh way and pick up our disappointments and just sit in silence offering our disappointments up to God. And so my challenge for each of you is to mimic Zechariah, make space to be with God. Find some time for gestational silence. Put it in your calendar, make an appointment and keep it. And as strange as silence is to our culture, as uncomfortable as this can be, carve out some time to sit with God Offer your disappointments to him and expect him to speak to you again.